Welcome to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We are an evangelical free church seeking to honor God by making disciples that learn about, love like, and live like Jesus. Amen and amen. Hey, good morning, Journey Church. Those of you who are with us, uh, some of you for the first time, some of you who haven't been here in a long time, everyone else in between, those of you joining us online, checking us out online, or you simply just can't be here today, we wish you were here Come next week and uh, we'll give you a hug. But um, we're, uh, we're back in our sermon series on 2 Peter. We only have two weeks left for the teaching. That's this week and next week. And then on the third week, we're going to do a review, a celebration, and share in communion together. So wrapping this up, and we hope you'll be a part of, of next week and the following week as well. Um, here's a question. Have you ever been robbed? You've ever been ripped off and you feel that deep sense of profound violation. You feel icky, right? So it was our first year of marriage. This is 28 years ago, almost 28 years ago. I'd left my, my parents home and I just couldn't take her with me. Stacy was better. Who was her? It was a brand new specialized stump jumper comp. Thousand dollar bike, brand new, hanging in my old bedroom. And I got the phone call one day, 27 years ago. We just got robbed. Three things are missing. Your bicycle happens to be one of them. Uh, what happened is, is three or four hoodlums had entered the house, uh, basic Camelback Mountain in the Arcadia area. They had a couple of guys inside rummaging through stuff, grabbing valuables. Then they had a team of guys in the alley, and they would take them out through the backyard and throw them over the fence. And one of my mom's employees named Polly walked in on a live robbery in progress. They freaked out, they ran, she screamed, and they got away. And my bike was gone forever. How do you think that made me feel? I'm 25 years old and full of adrenaline and passion and energy and strength and testosterone. And I began to fantasize, dear God, why could it have not been me to walk in on that robbery? And I played it over and to go over in my head. I'd be a one-man tornado. I would come in and I would bring wrath and fire and judgment and indignation. And it became a loop in my mind. Oh, dear God, can't we get a time machine and go back? I want to be the one to bring the danger. Is it any wonder that my parents named me James John? You go, what's that mean? Well, there's an account in, in the New Testament in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 9. <clears throat> two brothers, two disciples of Jesus became two apostles, and their names were James and John. And they were passing through Samaria on the way to Jerusalem with Jesus. And a couple of disciples were sent ahead uh, to make arrangements for Jesus and his disciples to, to stay in Samaria, and the Samaritans rejected them because they hated the Jews in Jerusalem so much that if you're on your way to Jerusalem, 
there's no room in the inn. James and John asked Jesus, begged permission to call down fire from heaven and burn them up. And Jesus says to them, you have no idea what spirit you are of. The Son of Man didn't come to destroy, but to save. This is the reason why we think in Mark chapter 3, James and John, there's a little, little note there that, that it says Jesus gave them the name Boernigus, which means sons of thunder. And my parents gave me both names. Perhaps you can identify. I want to bring thunder. I want to bring judgment. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, and judge the unrighteous. And guess what? It's everywhere. Every single individual and group of individuals has someone that they disagree with. Someone that they feel is, is ruining their life, ruining their country, ruining their church. And we are fired up against each other. The right is fired up against the left. The left is fired up against the right. In the church, those who are committed to, to truth and doctrinal purity can get fired up against the, the, the wishy-washy, gracious, uh, generous people. And the generous, gracious, justice people get fired up against the fundamentalists. And we have this civil war going on. And, and we feel like you're ruining the church. You're ruining the testimony. You're ruining the country. And we're saying, dear God, bring the judgment. It happens on any number of topics. And it doesn't matter your, your religious or political background. We are a people, probably because we are created in his image, we are a people that are keenly attuned to justice and righteousness and holiness, even if it doesn't align with God himself, we are a people that are committed to it. And so vengeance and, and wrath seem to come easy for us. And we just have to be really careful. We're going to look in the scriptures in a moment, but if I could even just feature a book that's available to us, it's called Finding the Right Hills to Die On, because not every topic, even in the church, is worth fighting over. There are some that are worth dying for. Not killing for, but dying for. But others that we should be gracious. And, and part of it, of life and, and walking with Jesus, is to know which ones are that important. And which ones to let go. But we are a people who are passionate about judgment and justice. And it was put there, put there by God, but man, sin has taken it in all kinds of crazy directions. Here's the deal. Only God knows who's truly right. From the heart. Even concerning the motives. Only God sees perfectly, and only God will judge perfectly. And judgment will come. And it will be good. For there is no justice without judgment. You cannot have one and not the other. It's a good thing, but here's the deal. It's just not now, and it's just not me. I have a different job. So do you. And what is that job? Becoming the person that God has called us 
to become and wait for God's timing and manner for judgment. Doesn't mean that we're not involved in justice and in righteousness. It doesn't mean that. It just means we're not the sons of thunder. Our job is quite different to wait on the Lord in his coming when he's going to set all things right. This is at the heartbeat. We've been studying 2 Peter all along, and we have this, this topic in Peter that, that God loves us, and he's given us an opportunity to grow, to grow in Christian virtue. And, and anywhere there, there's the truth, there's going to be the lie, and the lie in, in 2 Peter is actually going to come from amongst the churches, false doctrines, and God is ticked at the false doctrine and the false teachers that are bringing it. They are immoral people, and they are going to draw others after them and destroy their lives. They're going to start cults and movements, and real people are going to get hurt. And after talking about this and explaining this, and that the, the, the day of the Lord will come, Peter wants to make sure that he leaves them and leaves us with a proper understanding of where we fit in that story. And again, it's not to be the ones to bring the judgment, but the ones that are getting the work of the gospel done. If you have your Bibles, I'm actually starting, um, the last two sermons is a two-part sermon mini-series. Um, and both under this title, Judgment, Salvation, Stability, and Grace, today is part one. And the reason why I'm putting them together is because there are two sides of the same coin. They're, it's a dialectic. It's a tension. Um, that there's two things we need to pay attention to when it comes to false teaching and false teachers. Peter wants to leave us with the, these, these two ideas in tension. And this morning goes heavy in the direction of remember. Remember, it's not our job to bring the judgment. That's not for us, and it's not for now. I want you to think of it this way. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to actually read verses 14 through 18. That's the end of, of 2 Peter, but we're going to pick on primarily verse 15 and half of verse 16. So if you have your Bibles, follow along, and this is what Peter says. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, what's these? The coming of the Lord, the day of the Lord, the judgment of God. Be diligent to be found in him without spot or blemish and at peace. And Pastor Tyler, uh, this is tagged on to his, his text from last week, uh, did a great job with that. But um, here's where, where we pick up with a new piece. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. We'll come back to that in a moment. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do with the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity Amen. So that's the big thought, and there's two sermons in there, at least, I mean, there's like ten sermons, 
but the one we're picking on today is really verse 15 and half of verse 16. So let's, let's back up and put that one up there where he says, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. He's doubling back on something that he already mentioned a couple verses previous. We're supposed to have a certain attitude, a certain uh, uh, flavor to us as individuals, as families, as a church. And it's not the ones that are bringing judgment, wrath, and condemnation. But we're looking at the seeming delay of the coming of the Lord. And we're supposed to think of it this way. Patience. The patience of the Lord is salvation. Think of it that way. And then he goes on to say this interesting thing here. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to, wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks of them in these matters. So, context again at the end of this short, pithy, three-chapter epistle or letter that has to do with false teaching, false teachers, and all the dangers, and that God's going to judge them, and God's going to judge the world, and, and fire, and, and all this kind of stuff is coming he wants to park it on this. Remember, God is kind. God is patient. Why? Because he's really into salvation. We need to be people of salvation, not people of judgment and wrath. He said this in verse 9, uh, just giving that context. The Lord, is, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you toward us, toward this world. He's patient, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is generous and kind and gracious. Yes, he is holy, and yes, he will judge, but he is so patient, and he asks us to be patient along with him, not to be the ones that are looking for judgment and vindication and justice as our major and primary concern. And that's verse 15, count the patience of our Lord as salvation. And then at this point, he does something very interesting I pointed out. And he goes, let's think about Paul. Let's think about Paul. And he, he speaks of Paul in these very um, generous and kind and affirming ways. And he calls Paul his dear brother or our dear brother and says that God has given him some wisdom. He says that he's written to you. Um, my best guess there, as you look at a map of the ancient world, and you look at to who Peter was writing to in Asia Minor, and, and there's something of Paul that was written specifically to them. My best guess is the book of Galatians, but also Ephesians and Colossians are right there on the outskirts, there on the same area of the world. So those three books are probably to them. But then he goes a step further and says, all of his letters. We'll come back to that in a moment, but let me just make this note. I find this fascinating that Peter speaks in such lovely, positive, friendly, and affirming ways of Paul. There's a reason why I'm going to tell you this story quickly. But if you actually look at church history and you look at the book of Acts, you have Peter playing a major role at the beginning. He's a big player. 
But halfway through Acts, you don't even hear about him anymore, hardly. It's all about Paul. Peter gets two little epistles in the Bible. Paul gets 13. And, and Peter starts to stage down, and, and Paul becomes this, this magnificent figure in the ancient church. Okay? Think that there could be any ego struggle or insecurity? You could go, no, Peter wouldn't do that. Okay, well, maybe there was at least a temptation there, but it, it gets worse, okay? Peter had a run-in with Paul, and Paul made it public. And it's actually embedded in Paul's letter to the Galatian church, the one that was probably most likely written to these people. Let me give you an example. And I'll tell you what's happening is, is Peter, early on, he was friendly with people called the Judaizers that were trying to mix law with grace. And when he was in certain churches, in certain crowds, he was really careful about how friendly he was to Gentile believers. Well, Paul saw this instantly as hypocrisy, and we, we read in Galatians 2.9. Follow me? This is in the Bible. Paul says, when James and Cephas, he doesn't even use his, his name given by Jesus, Peter, the rock. He uses his earthly name, Cephas. I, I don't know, maybe not anything, but, but follow along. He says, when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, I mean, he could have said, like, like, they were pillars of the church. These are the apostles. They seem to be apostles. They seem to be pillars. Just interesting that this isn't sin. God lets Paul write it like this. Um, when they perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Two verses later, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Over what? A couple verses later, verse 14, when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before all of them. If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? And there's hypocrisy in there, and there was, there was insecurity, and there's posturing, and all these kinds of things. And Paul just comes in like thunder. And he goes, you're in sin, Peter. And does it publicly, and then writes it in the Bible. And here, years later, Peter's returning the favor. Our beloved brother the wisdom given him in writing to you. And in all his letters speaks of these matters. And I just think that it's so beautiful that two guys that could have really gone at it, jealousy and, and all this kind of uh, one-upmanship and insecurity that Peter, Peter the firebrand, Peter the spark plug, Peter the mouth, he could have been easily thrown into the th sons of thunder, James and John. I mean, because those were the top three, Peter, James, and John. And they were all firebrands like this. And yet here we have him in a season of life where he has just grown in grace. It's the year that he's going to die. And, he's, and the spirit pricks his mind and goes, I'm not the only one talking about these. Our beloved brother Paul. God gave him wisdom too. And in that letter he wrote to you guys, and by the way, in all of his letters, he speaks of these matters. And I really think that it illustrates the bottom line of our, of our message, and I know it's printed at the bottom because bottom lines should be at the bottom, so there, they, there it is. But let me pop the bottom line on you. 
uh, for today. And it's this, it's not time for judgment and wrath. Judgment and wrath are a good thing. That's how, where justice happens. Is, is proper judgment comes on people who have violated God and fellow man. And they've rejected what Christ did on the cross. And they're making things worse. And God will judge. It's not our place and it's not our time. It's not time for judgment and wrath. These are days of grace and salvation. We live in the age of grace and salvation. Our primary message is grace and salvation, not judgment and wrath. And you have even the picture of of Peter just saying, look at Paul, our dear brother, and, and he's grown in grace and salvation, living it out. And it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. A couple word studies in here. Patience, macrothymia. It's a compound word in the Greek. Macros, you might recognize that, macro, long or tall. There was a a thought in the ancient world that tall people with tall, long appendages were patient. I'm only 6'2". Okay, so it doesn't apply to me, but this is long. And then then the second part of, of the word is thumos, which is wrath, fierce indignation. And you put these two pieces together, and it came to mean patience, or endurance, or constancy, or steadfastness, or perseverance. And by the way, God has always been macrothymia, a God of patient kindness. You go, what about the God of the Old Testament? He's full of wrath and indignation and fire and brimstone. Okay, that's not, that's not entirely true. God has always been a God of grace and mercy and kindness and generosity and a God committed to salvation. In fact, it's, it's Moses in Exodus 33. He is wanting to see the full glory of God. And if you were here last week or you go back and podcast it, Pastor Tyler talked about the holiness of God. No one can see God. He would burn us up. And on that day when we will finally stand in his presence, he's going to burn away all that is not of Christ. And only that which is of Christ will remain. God knowing this about Moses, that he would destroy him if he saw his full, full power, God says, here's the deal. You come up tomorrow, bring two stone tablets, I'm going to hide you in the cleft of a rock, I'll let you see the tail end of my glory. And so in Exodus 34, we actually read this, the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed. This is God's self-testament about himself. Old Testament God. The Lord. The Lord. A God merciful and gracious and macrothymia. Now it's Hebrew, so it doesn't fit, but when it was translated in, into Greek, guess which word they used? Macrothymia. Slow to anger. Long, tall, patient. Abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now, I wish we had a little bit more time to explain that, but what you have is thousands of generations of kindness and two to three generations of judgment. Okay, this is God. Gracious, merciful, compassionate 
slow to anger, macrothymia. He was and is and will always be a God of grace and salvation, even in the midst of judgment. The second word, salvation, soteria, or the, the root word, sozo. It means deliverance, preservation, or safety. And what, what happens is, it, as Christians and theologians and Bible readers, we do a huge disservice when we jam, every time we see the word saved or salvation, we jam it into one definition, and that is not good. It's what's called a redactionist error. And so we make the Bible say all kinds of things that it's not supposed to say, and we always think, okay, that must mean getting into heaven when I die. And that is not all that the word salvation means. Five meanings of the word salvation as used throughout the scripture. First off is physical salvation. Secondly, is spared from the consequences of our sin. That's that don't go to hell, go to heaven when you die kind of salvation. Number three is set free from the control of sin in our hearts, and our behaviors, in our lives. Sin does not have to control us, and we can be saved from the domination of sin in our lives as Christians. Number four, one day we will be completely rescued from all presence of sin in all of its accomplices, judgment, and death. One day we will be fully saved. And then finally, this is one that that many people miss, is something that's called soul salvation, and it's the idea of don't waste your life on, on meaningless, self-centered, empty things. It's futility. And Christians can waste their life, and Jesus can save us so that our lives have meaning and purpose and impact while we are in this very temporary world. Five meanings. And today, what I believe Peter is talking about when he says, count the patience of our Lord as salvation— He's talking about two or three of those those meanings of salvation. So we want to take a look, but can I just say for a moment, aren't you grateful for the macrothymia of the Lord? Aren't you thankful for the patience of the Lord? God's patience means there's more time. Think about the gift of time. Time, time, a gift of grace. It's time to, time to change our mind about things that are wrong. There's time to turn away from sin. There's time to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. There's time to learn and grow and become someone that I am not currently today. Time to be conformed more to the character and likeness of Jesus, my Savior. Time to serve the Lord. Time is a gift. And all these, all these are wrapped up in sozo, soteria. And it's the patience of God that gives us more time for all of these beautiful, redemptive, meaningful, and valuable things in our life. Aren't you glad for the macrothemia of the Lord so that we could experience and live in soteria. (laughs) Aren't you glad? Man, I'm glad. Now, here's what Peter does. It's really fascinating. Is he gets pricked by the Holy Spirit and goes, oh, think about Paul, our beloved brother. The wisdom given him concerning these matters 
what he wrote to you, and all his letters. So what do we have there? Thirteen epistles, some to whole churches and some to individuals. Um, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus, and then a very strange one, Philemon. And, and Peter has just said, in all his letters, not only one that he wrote to you, but in all his letters, he talks about these things. What are these things? All of the, the lesson of, of Second Peter, I don't think it works that way. I think that, that Peter is thinking specifically about the theology that flows in all of Paul's 13 epistles concerning salvation. Okay? And... He wants us to remember and look for, I think that this is just a great trick, to get us to read Paul's letters, which are scripture. Right? And so what did I do this week? I read 13 epistles with pen and paper, chronicling the themes and the topics in all of the texts, and I built an enormous list. And I was blessed. It was it was meaningful it was life-changing for me i get to offer you some of the fruit of that study but understand the holy spirit led peter to mention paul in all his writings and that we should be aware of what paul wrote about sozo or soteria and the long suffering of god so as i'm thinking about this there could be Five or six subtopics. I'm only picking three. And I could absolutely triple or quadruple the number of scriptures I'm going to give you in these three topics. Because the Holy Spirit, through Peter, told us to consider Paul. So we got to stop. We got to hit pause. And we got to go and look at all of Paul today. Three subtopics of salvation, soteria. Okay, and they're actually your subpoints. So I'm gonna gonna fill them in, and then I'm gonna tell you. And you better take a deep breath, better wiggle. You better get some energy, or go or take a nap. Okay, because I'm gonna fire hose you. You're not gonna be able to sleep. But but we're gonna look at three categories of salvation, three things that we get to be a part of or or to respond in Paul's letters, and I'm gonna cherry pick. And I'm going to do custom blend what I think the Lord gave me, and, and we're going to look at the, these today. Are you ready? Ready? Take, take a deep breath, because it's not just the preacher, it's the hearer. We both have to be in tune here and, and let God's word saturate us, all right? So here's, here's the first category. God's given us time to come to Jesus. These are the days to come to Jesus. And if you've been toying with different thoughts, or you maybe you're a church person, but you've never truly come to Jesus, the macrothymia of the Lord has given you more time, and them more time, those who are not in the family of God. More time for salvation. These are days to come to Jesus. We have time to repent, believe, receive, and call upon the name of Jesus. Uh, Paul's letters are dripping with God's mercy, grace, patience, generosity, and kindness. You ready for this? Okay, I'm going to go quick. You can scribble them down. If you want my notes, I'll give them to you. Romans 5.8. God shows his favor or his love. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, 
There was nothing good about us, nothing redemptive, nothing noble, nothing interesting. We were sinners. Christ died for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21, skip over the 1 Corinthians text. I know it's in the slides, but 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake he made him, who do, who, him to be sin, who knew no sin. He's talking about Jesus. He had no sin. He was sinless from, from eternity past, if there is such a thing. Sinless life, 33 years. And on the cross, every sin of human, humankind, past, present, and future, were laid upon the Son of God. And God made him sin. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jump forward one chapter, 2 Corinthians 6, 1 through 2. We appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain for he says, in a favorable time I listened to you and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, Paul says to the Corinthian church, time to repent, time to come to Jesus. Now is the favorable time, behold. Now is the day of salvation. Stop putting it off. He's given you time. Don't let that time run out. Choose this day who you will serve. Who is your God? Who is Jesus? Come to Jesus. Paul is arguing. Romans 2, 4. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Time, patience, kindness, generosity, goodness, because he loves you. He has earned the right to be heard. Don't presume upon it any longer. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Romans 10, verse 11 and 13, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Verse 13, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You believe in him? Call on him. Come to him. Don't put it off. And then Ephesians 1, 7 through 8. For those who have done that, look what God has done for us. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. I mean, he didn't just miserly, okay, enough salvation for you, enough forgiveness for you. Oh, a little too much. Let's sweep that off and use it over here. No, just gobs of of, of infinite grace and mercy and forgiveness poured out all over every son and daughter of God who has called on the Lord. He has lavished it on us in all wisdom and insight. And then here's the great punctuation mark. Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? So here's the question. Have you come to Jesus? You still dilly-dallying in, in prideful self-righteousness? In religious self-righteousness, that stuff sucks. That's even more dangerous than sin. I would rather you have a needle hanging out of your arm shooting drugs than to be a religious Pharisee. It's one of the hardest sins to undo is self-righteousness and saying, I'm a good person. Those are the bad people over there. And until you admit you're a bad person, there is no grace for you. And that is the gospel. The central message of, of Christianity is not, God blesses good people. Now that's every other religion in the world, including, including spiritism in the jungles. The message of the cross is God loves and forgives bad people, sinful people. 
that is what makes Christianity different than every religion in the entire world. And he's given us more time. Sin is another problem. Self-righteousness is a problem, and it's a sin because it's pride. But just the, the carnal, um, you know, I call them the pedestrian sins, drugs, sex, rock and roll's not bad. I'm, I'm taking that off the list. But illicit sex, uh, recreational drugs, you know, everything, you know, all the carnal, easy, pedestrian sins, level one sin, those are really bad. They'll, they'll destroy you. They'll kill you. So whether it's religion or rebellion, drop it and come to Jesus and live. That's the first idea of sozo. Here's the second one. Not only the days to come to Jesus, these are the days to follow Jesus. He's given us time, those of us who have called on the Lord, he's given us time to become more like his son Jesus. The, one, the sons and daughters that he created us to be from the beginning, that, that sin is damaged and marred. And you comb through these 13 epistles, and this is what you have. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed, behold, the, the new has come. That's reality. Then why aren't we looking like it at all times? Why? Because there's some choices we need to make along the journey. Romans 6, 22 says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and it's an eternal life. Sanctification is this beautiful process whereby we become, in a practical sense, more and more holy and godly and good. Set apart is what the word means. And it's a process that happens throughout our life from the time we accept Jesus to the time that we go to see Jesus and are with him in person. But like I said, there's choices we make along the journey. Listen to Romans 12, 1 through 2. All Pauline, cherry-picked, right? Um, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's a choice I make every day, every moment. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. The word in the Greek means to be, be forced into the mold of the world, but be transformed. Metamorphosis is the word in the Greek, like a bullfrog, uh, a tadpole becoming a bullfrog, or uh, a worm becoming a butterfly. That's the exact metamorphosis. Don't be conformed, but be transformed, how? By the renewal of your mind. That takes some choice in, in how you're going to spend your time. Binge on Netflix or spend time with the Lord, reading the scriptures, pondering, meditating, memorizing, reflecting, praying back to, conversing with other Christians about what you're learning. It's the renewing of our mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. And then Philippians 2.12 <coughs> Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out, figure it out, grow, do what you need to do to place yourself in a proper environment so that Christ can transform you. Ephesians 5.8, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk like it. That's my translation. Walk like it. Walk as children light. 
And then look at how many times this shows up. Colossians 1.10, walk in a manner worthy. Worthy is the Greek word axios, where we get the word axle, and it means that our profession should match our lifestyle. So walk your lifestyle. Walk axios to your profession of faith. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Colossians 2, 6-7, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus in the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Um, I've got four huge more texts that you just email me. Or we'll put them in an email, okay? Because they're awesome. And it's Pauline, and one from Romans, one from 1 Thessalonians. That boy, it's a, 1 Thessalonians is a parallel book to, to 2 Peter. And what Paul talks about there. But let me just drop this one on you. And from, from an odd one, Titus is a little pastoral epistle to a, to a young pastor on the island of Crete. You ever hear of uh, people calling each other Cretans? As an insult, it's a pejorative term to mock someone. You Cretan. And sure enough, Cretans were really bad. Paul even said so in, in Titus. But now a lot of them are becoming Christians. And he's telling Titus how to pastor them and disciple them. And he says this, For the grace of God, which brings salvation, has appeared to all people. Teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I know, a little translation, I memorized it as a kid in the King James. But um, verse 14 says, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So it's not only time. We've been given time, God's patience. These are the days to come to Jesus. But secondly, these are the days to follow Jesus, to apprentice our lives after Jesus, not to just obey his commandments, but to follow his example. And we have time to do that and to become more like Jesus. I'm just going to really quickly here. Uh, the rodents are ecstatic because um, daughter Kaylee, son-in-law Taylor, and grandbaby Magnolia have or are moving to Tucson. They're right over there. Who, who, how'd this happen? Um, well, we're trying to get a house ready. <laughs> and you got Stacy and me, Taylor and Kaylee, and we are ho all high-octane achievers at this point. Like no rest. Hashtag ranch life, Taylor says. Like, sun up to sundown and then beyond. If you got lights, keep going. And what we're trying to figure out in these last two weeks, how do we pace ourselves? Because the soul can only handle so much. We want to get it done so we can have it done, but then you get addicted to this pace. And you destroy relationships in the process. And you miss some of the best things that God is trying to do in our lives. The same goes for us as we apprentice, we follow Jesus. It can't be all go, 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 go. There's got to be some stop, sit, listen, 
seek and pray. Healthy rhythms. We've been given some time to come to Jesus. These are the days to apprentice after Jesus. Here's the last one. These are days to point to Jesus. It kind of goes with that first one and that second one, but it's part of our mission in what God has given us to do, to point to Jesus. Consider Paul's own example in some of his epistles. Watch this, Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In fact, he's so emphatic, so, so gripped by sharing the gospel, he says in 1 Corinthians 9.16, Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Philippians 1, 12 through 13, he's in prison and he's trying to say, even when I get thrown in jail, that's a good thing. Why? Because the gospel gets to go to a bunch of prison guards. So what he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest of the, of, uh, that my imprisonment is for Christ. He's sharing Christ in prison. And then he asks the church at Thessalonica and Thessal- 2 Thessalonians, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. And you go, well, that's all about Paul. Like Paul gets the lion's share of evangelism. What does he say about us? And it's very interesting as you read his epistles, um, Paul is a huge advocate of a kind of evangelism called servant evangelism. Now, it's not the only kind of evangelism in the scriptures. But Pauline evangelism, he's really, really committed to this, to teaching the churches. That before you open your mouth, I want you to do good. But it's all evangelism. I want you to pray, and I want you to do good. Let me give you a couple examples. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 6, young pastor, he's saying this is how it should work in the church. This is what you do for the church. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. That's goodness. Godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. So he wants them to pray and live lives of moral excellence before they open their mouth. Titus, chapter 3, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, uh, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy to all people. Do that first. Earn the right to be heard. This is what, how, how Paul sees it. Earn the right to be heard. And then Titus 3, 8 The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. And then Galatians, that we think this letter is to the same people that Peter's writing to. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And then there's a priority to our brothers and sisters in Christ, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Can I just tell you really quickly, studies that have been done recently how are people really coming to faith in Christ in North America from non-Christian backgrounds? Who leads them to Christ and how does it happen? Here's the facts. On average, those people that are coming to faith in Christ do so after an average of 30 God encounters. 
30 points of datas, data points in their story where they're like, whoa, I think God's doing something. Whoa, I think God's doing something. Whoa, I think, you know what the majority of those typically are? A friend or a family member meeting them in a point of crisis or need, God showing up in that relationship. 30. We call them touches. 30 touches over time from credible Christian witnesses who do a lot more asking than telling. And then you know how many, how many gospel presentations need to happen before it clicks? Six. So what if it was our commitment as we are pointing people to Jesus that we just go, what if I could just be a few of those touches and maybe one of those presentations? I planted a Paul's water. God causes the increase. Look, we're, it's a team sport. You're not going to get all 30 and all six. Don't even try. But you might be the 30th and you might be the sixth. Because this is our job. This is part of what God has us here for. And just remember, it's not the time for judgment and wrath and say all those lost people, they're ruining our country. They're messing with my life. They're destroying my grandchildren. Instead of be people of grace and salvation. He's given us time to come to Jesus, follow Jesus, and point to Jesus. Judgment will come. Just not today. And not through us. Our job is to remember the patience of the Lord and count it as salvation. You know what? Um, the bike was gone forever. I got $600 back from my parents' insurance. Not quite enough to cover the bike. So instead of buying a new one, I put it toward my seminary bill. It's part of my master's degree. My bicycle made a contribution. A couple years later, a friend of mine gave me a mountain bike three times as valuable. Here, here you go. And those guys, those hoodlums, I don't know, I never found them. I did not kill them. No blood on these hands. But I'll tell you what, they've had 28 years. 28 years. And the kindness of God chasing them down. And hopefully some Christians in their lives. Time to come to Jesus. Time to grow in Jesus. Time to follow Jesus. Maybe even to point others to Jesus. And that's our job. Not time for judgment and wrath. Judgment and wrath are good. They're coming. But today, grace and salvation. Amen? Father, show us what this means. We know Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works. Lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, that he's prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. Lord, you have prepared good works today in the neighborhoods in which we live, in the neighborhoods in which we work, in the places we go to work, the people that we're, we're married to or related to by marriage or by birth. Lord, these are the people that you have given us to live out and to love. So Lord, we pray for our community, for our neighborhood, for ourselves, that we would take the opportunity, the time that you've granted the seeming delay in the return of Jesus and that, Lord, we would count it as salvation. Thank you for listening to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We'd love to have you join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You can find out more about us at journeyefc.org.